Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald, the Chief Operating Officer of C.S. Mott Children's Hospital and the Von Voigtlander Women's Hospital. On this edition of Women Who Lead, you'll meet a woman who works tirelessly on Belle Isle improvement projects. You'll also meet a woman who has dealt with tragedy and is working hard to save children's lives. And we'll also introduce you to the woman behind the Ronald McDonald House Charities in Ann Arbor. We'll get started right after these messages. You are listening to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas. I'm here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald. And Luann, we continue the conversation now with Veronica McNally the founder of the Franny Strong Foundation. Veronica is one of our 2021 Women Who Lead honorees. And Veronica, congratulations and thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. I'm so honored. And I know Lou's got lots of questions for you, Veronica, so I'm going to let her kick things off. Veronica, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, I First of all, I wanted to know, can you talk to us a little bit about what the Franny Strong Foundation is and what the mission is? It's very, very relevant to our times today. So if you could talk to us a little bit about the foundation. Yeah, thank you so much. We started the foundation in 2012 after losing our infant daughter, Francesca Marie, to whooping cough. So at that time, uh, we just were just completely floored by what had happened and really wanted to educate people about pertussis. It was just a few months after working with pertussis, whooping cough, that we realized that the issue is really about um, all vaccine preventable diseases. And we decided that we wanted to boost immunization rates for Michigan children. And that's how the foundation really was started. And who, who did you get to help you um, get get the word out and get the message out. It's it's so important. And as you know, you know, over the past, you know, at least eight to nine months um, since, you know, the we've been trying to get uh, parents and adults vaccinated to protect children. Um, and we're seeing a lot of children in the southern states being hospitalized with COVID. So talk about the relevance now of um, of the Franny Strong Foundation. So what's really interesting is that at the time we started the foundation, our immunization rates in Michigan had dropped quite significantly. So we were really kind of in the bottom of the pack for, for states. And this, this mission to increase immunization rates, I, I, kept thinking about the fact, I really understood hesitancy, and I kept thinking about the fact that we really needed to reach parents where they were. So I created this campaign called the iVaccinate campaign to get Michigan parents credible scientific information that would answer their questions about vaccines and vaccine-preventable diseases to help them make the best decision possible for their children. So fast forward, uh, to today where we are, and we are dealing with a respiratory disease that is not that unlike pertussis, which is what Francesca died from. There really is not a lot you can do once you get uh, COVID, which is just like pertussis. It's supportive care, really. And people, I think, have this um, misconception that 
they 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 won't have a severe infection or that children won't have a severe infection and that isn't necessarily accurate and so i i really want to just kind of talk just one minute to people who are on the fence about getting vaccinated against covid and tell you that this has become the pandemic of the unvaccinated to please don't assume that you have answers to your questions please make sure that you're reaching out to people who do have information that is based on scientific um, credible information and to to just to just make sure that you have that information before you decide not to get vaccinated at all and I, I saw also that your I vaccinate campaign, I, re, I remember um, you partnered with the Michigan Hospital Association and, you know, that, um, you know, represents all of the hospitals in the state of Michigan and, you know, really has a strong force behind making sure our kids are immunized. That's what gives them the best start in life and make sure um, that they're on the road to happiness and healthiness. And so, you know, talk to me about how um, how you get the message in front of families, how you get the message in front of organizations um, to, to really help boost these immunization rates. So we were really lucky back in 2017 to initially partner on this campaign with the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. And we were able to, as a result of that incredible relationship, we were able to bring this campaign across the state in, in many different ways. So you see that we have commercials on TV, we are on radio, we are on social media with a very large presence. We have an incredible um, blogger, um, group and following readership. So just really amazing. And what that enabled us to do is move to our phase two, which was our partnership with the Michigan Health and Hospital Association, as you noted. And in phase two of the iVaccinate campaign, we have been able to bring the iVaccinate um, concept to provider offices. So now there's a toolkit available for providers to talk with parents, we have a, a way to talk about vaccine hesitancy and to answer questions. And those providers can create a customizable takeaway for parents that answers their questions that they have about those specific vaccines. So really, I, I mean, I just want to go back to, to saying that it's so important that when a parent has a question or a person has a question about vaccines, that we answer that specific question. I know Anne has some questions for you, but I just wanted to thank you for your efforts um, to really get the message across to the families and the parents in our state. Um, you know, as a, as a hospital <laughs> administrator, it, it is the number one goal for us right now to keep our kids safe. So thank you. Thank you so much. And, you know, Lou, one of the things that I have learned since doing the Why I Vaccinate show with Veronica is that right now there are still a lot of parents who have not taken their children in to get their vaccinations, whether it's because of the pandemic or whether they're still hesitant. So Veronica, can you talk a little bit about why that's happening? Yeah, I think it was just really the the product of sort of the stay-at-home orders that we experienced in Michigan and across the country. And, and when that happened, it just, it, parents, they just weren't taking their kids to get them vaccinated. So where we saw a dip several years ago because of just this profound amount of misinformation, now we have this just, it, it, we fell behind and we need to focus on getting caught up. And it's not about the misinformation right now for the childhood immunizations. So let me just tell you where we are right now with vaccination rates in Michigan. 
Um, the coverage since the start of the pandemic has fallen from 77% in January of 2020 to 73.7% in June of 2021. That's a really dangerous place to be for us. And there's 10 areas with really low vaccination rates for 19 to 36 months, including the city of Detroit, that's at 48.4%. So what I think we need to remember is is not that um, is is not just these rates in 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 and of themselves. It's that there have been vaccination campaigns across the world that have halted because of COVID. And as we know all too well, because of COVID, these diseases are only a plane right away. So we want to, as soon as this pandemic is behind us, we want to get back to every single thing that we know and love. And that includes being, being safe with our kids and having them be able to play together and not have to worry about the transmission of vaccine preventable diseases. So, we have an interesting thing occurring here at the radio station. When we talk about vaccinations, specifically lately about COVID, the COVID-19 vaccine, and also masking to keep our children safe in schools, we are met with a fair amount of backlash. People out there who feel really strongly about, um, there, there's different different emails that come in. Some people don't want to be told what to do. They, they really resent being told what to do. Some people are concerned about the vaccine, whether it's safe or not. And some people um, don't like the idea of masking because they actually have heard or read somewhere on the internet is usually what we're seeing that wearing a mask can actually be dangerous to your health. So, Veronica, how do you address um, th this incredible reaction by some with regard to vaccinations and masks? Well, when I do encounter people who feel really strongly about the COVID vaccination, for example, and it's and it's interfering with their decision to actually get the vaccine, right? They're on the fence. They don't think they want it. I, I have to tell you, I often find that when, my, when I have these conversations that they have misinformation. And for the masking, I, I don't think there's a full appreciation for how much protection really exists when everyone is masked. The only way that we're going to keep our kids in school and to stay in school right now with this Delta variant is to be masked. So if you have if you have some information um, that you've received, and I'm talking to you about the COVID vaccine, I I want to understand where you're coming from. I want to understand where you got the information. I want to understand why you have the concern that you have about the vaccine, for example. And I want to share with you information about the number of doses that have been administered. I want to share with you, for example, the Baton Rouge Hospital that had 13 people in their intensive care unit and 13 people were unvaccinated. So um, I'm sorry, in, in, on ventilators, 13 people were unvaccinated. So I just kind of want to share information with the people, have a dialogue about it. I don't want to be confrontational because I don't think that's helpful. And, and I don't want you to walk away from the conversation and think that, um, that you have you have all the information you need in that moment in time. I want to make sure that you know that there's good information out there and that you can get answers.
Well, and you can also go back to the whole discussion about childhood vaccinations. Look at all the diseases that we've basically gotten rid of because of vaccines, Veronica. That's so true. I mean, you have people who live through the the polio um, experience and, and now have just a really poor outcome from it. So it's important to, to revisit the fact that these vaccine preventable diseases have been around for a long time and that we have great tools to protect against them. And is there anything else that you want our listeners to know with regard to your ongoing work about talking to people about the importance of vaccinations? You can visit ivaccinate.org and get answers to your questions. And if you have any additional information you need, we are here to support you. Veronica McNally, the founder of the Franny Strong Foundation, thank you for your time today. Thanks for the great information and congratulations on being one of our 2021 Women Who Lead honorees. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure to be with you. You are listening to Women Who Lead. We'll be back right after these messages. Welcome to Women Who Lead. I'm Ann Thomas, and I am here with my co-host, Luann Thomas-Ewald. And Luann, our first guest is Michelle Hodges. She's the president and CEO of the Belle Isle Conservancy. And Michelle is one of our 2021 Women Who Lead honorees. Michelle, congratulations and welcome to the show. I couldn't be more thrilled to be with two women who lead and be part of your crew. It's it's awesome. I'm bursting. Nice. <laughs> so, Lou, I have to tell you, when I sent Michelle the note saying that she was one of our honorees, she said back to me, are you kidding? Is this a joke? I'm like, no, Michelle. This is so well-deserved. And Michelle, <laughs> yeah, and I know Lou has some questions for you. So, Lou, take it away. It is real. It is legit. And this is the award of all awards. So you should be very proud. Michelle, thank you for being with us. Um, first of all, I want to know a little bit about you. So you've been leading the Belle Isle Conservancy for a while. Talk to me about, you know, what, what your passion is and, and how, you know, and how you've mixed your passion with leading this wonderful, wonderful organization. Well, and you just nailed it, Luann, because to have the honor of having your profession and your service woven into one is pretty incredible, right? That makes for every a, a special day every day because you know you're serving your community. And the word that comes to mind for me is impact. How can you make sure that you are always having impact and that keeps you fresh and viable and always moving toward the ball that the, the goal line that you're you're pursuing? So and, and the way I think about it is being um, a builder of not only communities, but community is where the 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 silver bullet is, quite frankly, because both those things have to be working together. So it truly is an honor and a privilege to be part of this organization and 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 in the ecosystem of all of our wonderful Detroiters working passionately on behalf of our community. Well, what, you know, one of the um, best events of the year is Polish the Jewel, and that is just so fun. And and I feel like it's one of those events where you know every person in the room and you can bounce from table to table to catch up. You did not have it last year, correct? We did a virtual version. Yes. 
And then this year, what are the plans? This year, we, uh, the, Diane and Tom Shaneth, are um, our complimentary, are, excuse me, our hosts. So we're very excited about that because they know how to have fun, right, at um, <laughs> the Rooster Tail. So it's not going to be dull. And what will be different this year? Well, one, we're going to talk about the treasures of Belle Isle, what makes it so incredibly special. And then to really keep it interesting, we're going to invite the boys this year. We want the boys there. And wow. so if any of the boys are questioning whether or not they should be there, um, they just need to know that Tom Shaneth has promised us that he will make it very special for all. So I'm pretty excited about that. I think that'll be fun. But you you are so right. Polish the Jewel is one of those days of the year that is just incredibly special. You get to get all blinged out. Um, you can wear your special hat. You can put that special jewelry on. Or you can just come as you are. We just want people to be. You can wear those glasses that you're wearing right now, Luann. I wish, I wish Radio Dumb could see them because they're <laughs> awesome and um so yes it's a very special day and it's one where we can certainly make sure that Belle Isle remains viable going forward when when is it this year it's October 14th at the rooster tail so be there or be square and, and people can go to your website to look for more information about the event correct yes they most certainly can what are what are some things that um you have done to keep your employees motivated and appreciate feel appreciated over over the past 18 months i know every industry is struggling um but what, what are some unique things that you've done to keep your team engaged saran wrap <laughs> we have this wonderful culture on our team and um so occasionally we'll play jokes on each other and one was to wrap somebody's vehicle in saran wrap um so but it's that so we're we're a family and um, we're all there because we believe in Belle Isle. So it's honestly not hard motivating this team, but we do make sure that we have a culture that you can thrive within. So we worked all together on a code of honor where we um, over several months met to discuss what's important to us and how do we uh, commit to those values. So it's everything from as simple as showing up to work to a meeting on time because that respects your colleagues to other ends of the spectrum of making sure we're culturally relevant, that we're responding to the needs of our community, that we're calling each other out when we think things are happening that shouldn't happen. So that code of honor really anchors us and we weave it into the day-to-day -day of our operations. And then we also try to do things that um, are no cost to the organization because obviously you're always in a mode of austerity when you're in nonprofit work. So we found things like giving each employee a professional development budget that they can use as they wish um, to advance their skills. Um, we give them the week um, between Christmas and New Year's off to enjoy the time with their families. We did give them some time off during COVID um, in order to just get that grip <laughs> that you need on life. So we do those sorts of things. And then I love our staff meetings too. They're, they're really well utilized. Um, and we have prompt questions that help us get to know each other. It could be everything from, you know, what was your first boo-boo to um, what was your first job? You know, interesting things like that that really compel somebody to reveal who they are as a person. So it's, it's that sort of stuff. Some might call that soft, but I think it actually has a really hard outcome because we have a team that has very little turn over and really honors and respects each other and works incredibly hard. So Michelle, what are some of the treasures of Belle Isle? So, you know, you talk about the treasures, but maybe there's people in the audience that haven't been there in a while or have, or who have never been there. So what are some of the treasures? Oh goodness. I've got to say the people and the memories, right? I mean, I, 
Especially right now, I've never been more aware of history unfolding before my eyes than I am right now. You know, we talk about the Belle Isle played a significant role in the Underground Railroad. You know, slaves knew that they needed to get to midnight, which was Belle Isle in the city of Detroit, to get to the dawn. You know, moving through 1943, 1967, you know, now to the Freedom March, to the Memorial Ride, um, the Out Off Garden. I, you know, Belle Isle has been there with us. I think of her as a she, as a person, because she's been there with us through all this time. So that repository of memories, of culture, of tradition, to me is the treasure. And when I'm out in the community and I talk to people, it, it they smile, right? Because they remember those treasures. They understand the history. It helps us move forward. And then, of course, there's all the obvious things. I mean, I've got to admit, when you first said that, one of the things that came to mind was the the eagles. We have an eagle family that now calls Belle Isle home, and everybody might not know that. You know, we know about the aquarium, the conservatory, the fountain, and oh, and I don't know if people know that there's a speakeasy in the lower level of the aquarium. That probably bears mentioning. I think that's definitely yes. a treasure. <laughs> but then we also have these magnificent eagles soaring overhead, and it's a constant reminder of how special Belle Isle is for so many reasons. And a couple of years ago, the fountain was restored. Can you talk a little bit about that? That was such a great project. Well, if you can call duct tape restoration, yes, we have done that. Um, it's about a $12 million project to fully restore it. But we have wonderful partners in the form of our Grand Prix, you know, through through the Grand Prix and our Grand Prix, mm -hmm. the Penske Corporation GM and all of the other wonderful um, corporate members of our community that stand tall with us. But through them, we've been able to raise more than $400,000 that has enabled us to make investments that are wise and that are part of the big picture so that once we are able to raise that larger sum, these steps will have mattered. Uh, and I, I really tip my hat to them because because of their efforts, we're able to keep that fountain running for the community. And I've seen how important that is just in the last couple of weeks because there was an electrical issue that kept us from running it and the community really missed it, you know, and we heard from the community. So um, we've, people come from far and wide to get a picture at the fountain. And if the fountain is not running, they're not happy. And so we have a duty and an obligation to make sure that they can enjoy their Belle Isle and her in the way that they want to. So how much is needed for complete restoration and can people help with that, Michelle? People are wonderful and they do help. And yes, we need a lot more help. Overall on Belle Isle, there's about a $330 million lift. Um, the, uh, the, um, the fountain itself is one of our top four fundraising priorities and that's about a $12 million price tag. So yes, they can help. They can get on our website, make a donation. They can come to the Polish the Jewel luncheon and be part of that. They can become part of our giving society, which we're so grateful to those members that are part of that. There's a multitude of ways to support Belle Isle and ensure that that this amazing place remains part of our part of our community for a very long time. And you know, it seems to me that Belle Isle is basically the perfect place to go during COVID. It so much is, and our numbers mm -hmm. will tell you that. It's 4.9 million people that come to Belle Isle. And I think Belle Isle is a perfect place for a lot of things, and maybe the only place where a lot of those things can happen. Certainly COVID, but I think she's also the safe place where we as a community can talk and heal and unite with one another, no matter whom we are, because she's welcoming to everyone. It's just that really incredible, safe public place that no matter who you are, you feel a connection to it. And we have to leverage that as a community. And that's part of what drives that passion for me is that we have that responsibility and we can't squander it either, right? Leadership is absolutely that, a responsibility. And
and I feel that responsibility. I want to see her be that very special place that is where you can come to find fun and find joy, but also to feel like we're moving our society and our community forward because of who she is. Michelle Hodges, president and CEO of the Belle Isle Conservancy, thank you so much for your time today and congratulations on being one of our 2021 Women Who Lead honorees. Thank you very much, truly an honor. You are listening to Women Who Lead. We'll be back right after this. And now, Luann, we say hello to Kim Kelly, the executive director of the Ronald McDonald House Charities in Ann Arbor. Kim, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. And I know Lou really wants to highlight this wonderful charity, so I'm going to let hers start things off. Thanks, Anne. And yes, I do. Uh, The Ronald McDonald House Ann Arbor is one of the major partners at CS Mott Children's Hospital, and I've had the pleasure to work with Kim um, over the past uh, 18 months. And, you know, with, with COVID, um, you know, you, you really see who the true leaders are and who step up and um, do what's right for patients and families. And Kim is one of those people. And so, Kim, I just want to thank you. Um, you know, we, we all share the same community and the same families and the same kids. And so what we wanted to talk to you about today is um, what's, how, how did you get to the Ronald McDonald House? I mean, you're the perfect leader um, for the organization. And, and talk to us about how your passion led you to this job. Well, thank you. And and I have to say, before I say anything more, um, we are so blessed with the partnership that we have with Michigan Medicine and CS Mott. Um, you know, I work with my peers all over the country, and I realize the blessing I have with the amazing healthcare institution that we work with. Um, but my road is kind of an interesting road. I um, did a lot of volunteer work and fundraising, um, aside from a computer project management job early on in my career. Um, And I ended up, um, quite honestly, post-divorce, going back into a different role. And I worked for a small event company. And the first RFP that came in, um, because they were looking for a fundraiser, was from the McDonald's owner-operators locally. And I created what became the Ronald McDonald House Gala that the McDonald's owner-operators hosted to support both the Detroit and Ann Arbor chapters. And um, I went on to a different career after that. And shortly thereafter, McDonald's came to me and said, can you still do this for us? And so I did a little bit of both for a number of years, but it was an amazing opportunity for me because I worked with both chapters, all the McDonald's owner operators, their vendors, their supporters and suppliers. And so one day I got a phone call from the Ronald McDonald House in Ann Arbor who had gone through a leadership transition and they were looking for someone that might be willing to come in as their chief development officer and help raise the money to build a second house within CS Mott Children's Hospital. And I said, wow, you know, just about everything I'd done over different bits and pieces of my career kind of led me directly to where I was so blessed to fall in the end. And I was hired as chief uh, development officer and the day I started, the executive director quit. <laughs> So it was in the right place at the right time with the right goals and um, an organization that had been doing all the great things for, you know, 20 some years at that point, 
but was really ready for growth, really ready for um, taking it to the next level. And so it's been a crazy 11 years, but all in a really great direction. Um, we've grown our boards, we've grown our supporters, we've grown our organization, our facilities. We've served far more families. We've done additional programming. Um, COVID certainly has, as anybody can tell you, right, certainly put a little bit of pause on things for us. But we are also in a new strategic plan with some very big goals uh, for future expansion. And our number one strategic goal is to expand to meet CSMOT patient and family needs. And as we all know, Michigan Medicine is only going to continue to grow and be uh, serving more and more families. And we intend to be that partner to be able to do all of that with them. So we've got some mighty goals ahead of us, uh, both in fundraising and expansion, but uh, we're also looking at other partners in the community as to ways we can expand our reach um, in support of either family rooms and other hospital systems, or we have a great program called CareMobile, which will provide mobile health uh, that we are also speaking with some groups about. So um, it's been a great ride, but I think the future is even more exciting. So Kim, talk a little bit about, um, because it's it's very unique, talk about um, the Mott House. Yes. Um, which, which, you know, I'm obviously thrilled about, mm -hmm. um, but talk to us a little bit about the Mott House and, and that structure. Well, when people hear about Ron McDonald House, they, they always just imagine it's this house outside of a hospital, uh, children's hospital, but we actually have multiple programs. And there are houses within hospitals now. And when we opened in 2011, along with CSMOT, we were the 11th in-hospital house to open. And actually one of the largest at the time, we have 12 bedrooms there, which is right on the ICU floor. And um, it's it provides even more of a special place because it is steps away from their children. Um, Ronald McDonald houses are always as closely located to a hospital as possible so that when that family potentially gets that horrible phone call in the middle of the night, they are as close as possible to their child. And in the CSMOT facility, being on that ICU floor, we are right next to those critically ill kids. And families can feel very comfortable that they can go back and take a little bit of a rest, a shower, eat something, because it's kind of that, you know, put your mask on first. Your, your family has to be healthy to be able to continue to support their children and their health journey. And um, that space, if anybody that's been in clinical work knows, that is ideal real estate. So we were very, very fortunate to be given that space. So we have 12 bedrooms, uh, laundry, living space, a kitchenette, and small office. Um, and we are thankful for that space every day. And I, I just need to give you a shout out because, you know, in in the midst of COVID um, and, you know, when we were really trying to keep our employees safe, you know, you stepped up and really let us use that mod house for our nurses and our physicians and our healthcare workers um, who didn't feel comfortable going home and spreading COVID within uh, their homes early on. So, you know, I just need to give you, I mean, that that's what partners do. We look out for each other in times of need. And that, that was just, um, 
that was so nice. And, you know, also knowing that at the time in 2020, we weren't seeing a lot of pediatric hospitalizations. So um, didn't have as great of a need as we usually do for those uh, parents. So just, you know, a huge thank you to you um, that that really provided some comfort for a lot of our healthcare workers at the time. It was an absolute pleasure and we were thrilled to be able to do it. And it, it just happened at the absolute right time. And as you said, you know, our occupancy, which is always, we usually are on a long wait list, but our occupancy had dropped because elective surgeries had stopped. And yeah. we were able to condense all of the families that needed help at that time in our main house across the street. And in some cases, because we haven't been able to support some siblings due to COVID, we've also put a number of families in hotels so it was the absolute right thing to do. And um, I don't know if you know, but you know, we've heard from nurses that we knew personally through relationships talk about what that meant to them. Um, and so it, we were thrilled to be a part of the process in supporting the COVID response and continue to support the COVID response. Absolutely. And, and we appreciate it so much. And I want you to talk, you have a big event coming up in September, and I want you to talk a little bit about the event. I believe it's sold out, it but talk about the event and how people can still donate um, to the cause because it's it's an awesome cause. That'd be great. I, and, you know, we are kind of sad that we're sold out, but um, at the same time, I'm kind of glad at the same time to keep it a little bit smaller. But um Red Show Fair was created back in 2012 as an ability for us to not only fundraise and get support for our chapter, but also as an awareness builder. You know, many people have a misconception about Ron McDonald House that we're either funded by McDonald's or funded by the healthcare partner that you work with. And although we are definitely very thankful for the generous support we get from both of those entities, it does not fulfill a $1.5 million budget every year. So we needed to get ourselves out there and um, we created this little party that we started doing at the Michigan Big House. Uh, and I used to joke that I used the Michigan Big House as the hook. You know, I could get them there to see the Michigan Book Big House, but at the same time, they learned about us and they left us fans of Ronald McDonald House as well as Michigan. And um, traditionally we'll have, you know, 600 people and it includes, um, great cocktails and food and um, tours of locker rooms and football fields and things like that. But this year in pre-planning for COVID, we decided to do this at an outdoor venue and we are holding it on Saturday, excuse me, Friday. We moved it to a Friday because, you know, in Ann Arbor, Michigan football rains. Every <laughs> um, and so it's a Friday evening on the 17th and it's actually being done at German Park, which I had never been to. Uh, it is a bit of an institution in Ann Arbor, um, some great picnics and parties that go on there. And it's a nice, what I call big overgrown picnic area that gives us lots of space to space out for COVID. But um, it will include uh, great food and, and cocktails. And we've brought in the Mega 80s Band, which is a amazing, fun party band. Um, but the thing about the Red Show Fair that I love is that it has, it has become so popular that it normally generates about a third of our budget. We were unable to hold it last year as everybody else, uh, you know, ended up either going virtual or whatever it was, but um, it is an important awareness builder, but a significant impact to our budget. And as everyone has experienced, 2020 has, in some cases, donors have been much more generous. And in other cases, there have been donors that just haven't been able to come to the table like they have in the past. So 
it becomes very critical. Um, it is sold out. I wish I could include and invite everyone, um, but we will be holding it again next April, uh, COVID permitting, uh, in the big house again. But we, anyone that would be able to support us, we would love for them to go to our website, which is rmhcannarbor.org. There is a donate button at the top of the page. Um, and certainly we would be able to credit it directly to that event. I've got some pretty competitive staff that are ready <laughs> break some records. Kim Kelly, Executive Director of the Ronald McDonald House Charities in Ann Arbor. Thank you for your time today. Thank you both so much. We appreciate it and everything that you're doing as well. Have a great day. You've been listening to Women Who Lead on behalf of my co-host, Luann Thomas Ewald. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend.